Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Sav Cameron and I'm on team here at Gateway. I am married to David, an adventurous guy, and I think there'll be a photo of my family coming up. And now I can say I have teenage um, children, yes, and um, the boys are twins, so there's lots about that um, that you can feel sorry for in my household. Um, No, they are an incredible bunch um, of people and I love hanging out with them and doing life with them. So I know we just had a quiz, and I didn't realise Andrew was going to do a quiz, but I just thought, just so that I get to know you a little bit, and you get to know me a little bit, um, if we can um, do another quiz, would that be okay? Yeah, in line with the spirit of this? So just so I know who's in the room with me, um, so put your hand up if you prefer Chinese food over Italian food. Oh check that out. It's a bit like half and half. Do you know that Australian statistics would say that Chinese food wins? Yeah. Who doesn't like sweet and pork? I mean, honestly. <laughs> Less carbs in that than a pasta, let me tell you. <laughs> How about this next one? Who prefers to work from home than going into work? Hands up. Who prefers to work from home? Oh, not that many. Oh, you guys are a bunch of social people, aren't you? Look at that. It's not incredible that we even have this as a statistic now. Um, so um, what is the statistic? 70% of Australians would prefer to work from home and 30 to go into work. How about this one? Who prefers Nutella over Vegemite? Oh, already. <laughs> Let's go. I say Nutella wins. How un-Australian of you because statistics would say that... 40-something percent of people prefer... Hands up the Vegemite lovers in the room. Look around, Nutella. Oh, you like everything. Okay, Dan. Dan likes everything. (laughs) Any spread will do on his toast. Who prefers to watch Seven News over ABC News? Oh. (laughs) It's a hard admission. Maybe I should have done it the other way. Who prefers the ABC News over the Seven News? Okay, that is also contentious in our household. Um, And this last one, who prefers a country holiday over a beach holiday? Oh, I I say beach wins, yeah. Beach wins in my household when I plan the holidays and book them. Um, However, my husband would prefer the country any day. So those country goers, you're welcome to go on property and hang out with my husband. And I'll go to the beach. You know, we all have this um, internal operating system within all of us that have a preference, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we're intentional about it or not, or whether we like it or not. And sadly, we also operate from this internal operating system of preferences when it comes to people. We actually do have an unconscious bias. You know, for me growing up um, in my family, I have an older brother. And if you don't know, I am Asian. And in this Asian family, um, just so you're aware, um, in in my Asian family from a Chinese background, an oldest boy in the household is treated like the bee's knees. Preach it, right. (laughs) Happens in your culture as well. Okay, so in in our culture growing up, um, they are treated like kings. And my brother was treated a bit like that. 
you know, it was a great position to hold. And, uh, but he also, it also comes with a fair bit of responsibility. Being the oldest male, you are to reproduce and carry on the family name. So hurry up and get married and have kids, you know. No pressure at all. And also, that being the oldest, oldest um, male in the household, you are to take care of your parents when they are old. So, but growing up, I didn't realize that these were the responsibilities my older brother had upon him or the expectations that were on him. I had no idea. My experience was that he was the favorite in the family because we'd go out to a Chinese restaurant and he would be, you know, who likes duck? I know that's another survey. All right, so we'd be eating duck and the plate of duck would come out and my dad and my mom would always serve my brother first. And I'll be like, hang on a second, I don't want the leg, I want the breast, you know. But no, he gets served that first. We were Buddhists growing up, so going to the temple to take the offering is quite a, um, a pride position. And they would say, you know, to my brother, take the offering to the temple. And I would just kind of tag along. You know, my parents would kind of talk about my brother, you know, he'd like pump up his tires, saying how awesome he really is. And I'm just kind of like the side note. So growing up, it's not that I didn't believe my parents didn't love me, but I probably felt that my brother was the favorite between the two of us. Probably felt a little bit unseen at times, not as loved, not as valued as my brother. You know, I acknowledge in this room that not everyone here may have siblings and you may be an only child, but each one of us, I believe, throughout our life, there has been experiences that we have felt where we have felt a little bit unseen, where we probably have felt like we're not the preferred choice on the sporting team or in the workplace, or sometimes that we are undeserving of love. So before we continue, these are the topics we'll be talking about today, favoritism and love. And I just want to acknowledge right off the gate that some, as we talk about this, that there'll be different experiences here in the room and it might bring up some memories or emotions for you. So please do what you need to do during our time together this morning. But also know that we as a community of people here at Gateway wants to cheer you on and love you. So if you want to talk or pray about certain things that do come up this morning, please know that we're here for us to do that. You know, none of us want to live our lives in such a way that we sideline people. None of us want to live our lives in such a way that we cause people to feel like they are unseen. But you know, when we show favoritism, or whether we know it or not, you know, this kind of unconscious bias or this um, operating system of preferred choices, we do. We do make people feel that way. So what does it look like for us to love people in such a way that there is no favorites? Just like Andrew said, the book of James is fairly direct. So this morning, we're going to have a pretty direct conversation together. And we're going to read from um, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and then 8 to 9. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to James chapter 2. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, no, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We're going to skip down to verse 8 and 9. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. 
But if you show favoritism, you sin and convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Here James points to a way for each one of us um, in how we are to treat people. He's pretty direct, (laughs) actually. He shows us that way, a godly way through loving others like you love yourself or an ungodly way where you show favoritism or partiality towards others. What James is addressing in his time is this um, spirit of self-interest and he's trying to remind the church here in this passage that love has no place at all for favoritism, but it embraces all people. You see, God's love has no favorites at all. He doesn't have any. He embraces all people. He doesn't have an internal um, operating system like ours where he would prefer you over another person. That is not true at all. The Bible tells us that he loves everyone, that he has created each person. Each person that's in this room has been created in the image of God. Not just some, all of us have been created in the image of God and have been loved and welcomed by him. And he demonstrates this through his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, in the time of Jesus, the Jewish people didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Yes, we've heard the stories that they expected the king to come and, you know, take over the Roman Empire and lead them into victory. But what they saw was this man who would spend his time with sinners, with the outcasts, with the unclean people of society. You see, Jesus didn't come to die um, for just some groups of people. He actually didn't do that. Not just for those that are the smartest in the room, Actually, I just saw Denise and Carrie Austin here, who I've known for such a long time, like from 25 years ago, incredibly educated people. He came and died for you, but not just for you, right? And he also um, didn't come to die for the most popular person in the room, Dan Waller, you're incredibly popular. He came and died for you, but he also came and died for others. He didn't come to die for the most religious, like Andrew, who gets up and prays at 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, he dies for Andrew, but he also didn't come to die for the richest person like James talked about. He didn't come to die for just one race or one preferred colored skin person. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're tall or you're short like me, whether you're educated or not, whether you're from Australia or you're from a different country, Jesus values each person. So as believers, if we are to model our love after God's love and how he loves We first need to understand this, that God gives each one of us here in this room the capacity to love other people because he is love. Love is not something that we actually generate ourselves. It is something that God wants us to experience. He wants us to experience that personally for each person that's here. He wants you to experience his love, but he also wants you to share that love with others that are around you. 1 John 4 Verses 7 to 9 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think it's clear. He's saying God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not what... Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So therefore, dear friends, since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. You may be sitting here this morning and you might be saying, Sav, that's awesome, but you know what? I don't know this love that you're talking about, this love of God. My prayer for you today is that we are we'd love to introduce you to Jesus and to, to the love of God. If you never experienced God's love before, we'd love to do that to you today, for you today before you leave. If it's been a long time since you actually have felt God's love because you've been snowed under with other emotions and feelings and circumstances in your life and you feel like God's love is so far away from you, my prayer for you today is that we'll pray with you and that you will experience God's love afresh for you. Or you may actually be sitting here and say, actually, I, I love a lot, but I don't know if I have more capacity to love anymore. Well, the Bible tells us that we have been created in God's image in Genesis 1.27. And if God is love, I'm just trying to do the deductions here. If God is love, then if we are made in his image, we also, also hold the nature to love. And this nature to love isn't just to, for ourselves, but also the capacity and the ability to love other people. If we do want to model our life how God, to see how God loves and live in the life in the way that Jesus wants us to live, as his disciple, love has no place for favoritism but embraces all people. We need to love in the way that sees people. We need to love in the way that seeks people out. And we also need to love in the way that invites people into the family of God. Jesus demonstrated this love when he was here on earth, how he embraced all people. We're going to look at a few stories this morning in how he sees people, in how he seeks them out, but in also how he invites them to join him in the relationship with him. Matthew 8, 1 to 3 is a story of a leper who came to see Jesus. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, a large crowd followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, and he said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I don't know about you whether you have any contact with anybody who's had leprosy before, but leprosy is a very serious disease where um, they can't feel their pain, but their skin condition is full on and overwhelming. I don't even have the right medical terms for you, others in the room may. But I know it's a very serious disease. In times of scripture, lepers were seen as unclean. And actually by law, lepers were excluded from society. They had to be. They were separated from people. So as I read this story, I imagine this incredibly unclean outcast of society saw Jesus come down from the mountainside, large crowds of people like, like now in this room. I can just try and imagine that as the leper started to approach the crowd, what were the reactions of the crowd? I would say that they would start to go, no, don't come near me because if you're unclean and I come near you, that'll make me unclean. And the laws in those days mean that then they have to go through all their rituals again to be cleaned again. So I would say the crowd would have just kind of moved away. But I also try to imagine what it was like for the leper and the courage that it would have taken him to do that. He knew that he wasn't accepted in society. He knew that he was an outcast. He knew by law that he's not meant to be there. But yet he comes, approaches Jesus, laying himself before Jesus and said, heal me. That takes incredible courage. 
incredible courage. And Jesus did not ignore him. When everyone else moved away from him, Jesus moved towards the leper. And he stopped and embraced him. So when I say love has no place for favoritism and embraces all people, this is Jesus physically embracing the leper by touching him. That is the sign of the day back then, how you embrace each other is actually to grab each other's hands. And that's what Jesus did to this leper. I wonder how long has it been for this leper where he has actually been acknowledged by any person? How long has it been since he's had a conversation, a face-to-face conversation with anyone? How long has it been that he actually has felt any human touch at all? Jesus sees value in this man when nobody else did. And he sees him and he values him and he stopped for him. So when was the last time you and I saw somebody? When was the last time that we saw the person who is sitting by themselves at lunch most most lunch times? Do we notice our neighbour who just came back from the hospital from surgery and is living by themselves? Do we see him? Do we see a fellow student in our course who, you know, never comes out to any of the hangouts we do after uni? Do you see that person? Do we see a group of people that we walk past on a Sunday morning from our car park to the church, sleeping rough on the street? Do we see them? You know, Jesus demonstrated his love while he was alive. He sees people, but he also seeks them out. In Luke chapter 8, tells the story of a woman who has been living with a condition of blood where she was bleeding the whole time for such a long time. She, you know, has been living with this condition, much like the leper, is unclean, considered unclean, and is not welcome in society. She's, much like the leper, sees Jesus with a large crowd of people, and she just wants to be healed. So she approaches Jesus, but she couldn't quite get to him so what she did was she touched the M, the end of his cloak, and she was instantly healed. Awesome, incredible that she was healed. Jesus felt, when she did that, the Bible says that Jesus felt that the power had left him. So he could have gone, well, that's good, somebody must got healed and kept going, but he didn't. He actually stopped and asked and sought out, who was it that did that? Who touched my cloak? And then he speaks to her and he commends her. I'm just trying to help us understand that here's a woman who has never had contact with society, let alone the Lord Jesus himself, is there having a conversation with him. You know, she could just walk away and be healed. Jesus could have left her healed and that would have been a celebration in itself. But no, he actually stopped and sought her out. He took the opportunity to see who she was. Today we just heard from Kelly, and Kelly, um, I just want to say, like, incredible story, and I wish you were up here actually speaking on this topic, because you gave so much wisdom in that time for us. You know, you're a lawyer in a high-rise building, but yet in your time that you do have, both you and John go and um, love on those people in our streets who are just marginalised, but also lonely and have no contact with society in some shape or form. I just want to say thank you for doing that. It's such an inspiration. And I can honestly say that I, I probably have find that hard to do um, myself. 
not because I don't want to love. And that's really why I want to acknowledge. It's not that we don't want to love people. It's just that fear in us actually stops us from loving people. And for me, it would be the fear of, is it safe for me to approach someone on the street? Is it safe for me to do so? I've got my family to think about. Is it safe? It would be also... I don't really know how to love properly. Like, what could I possibly do that could make this person feel loved? I'm afraid that whatever I'm going to do might offend them or might not be the right thing or I might say the wrong thing even. That's a real fear. And, you know, in my 20s, um, this fear was very real in me and it actually was an incredible barrier to, and it stopped me from loving very well. In our 20s, my husband and I and a bunch of our friends um, decided that we're going to take the message of Jesus to India and Nepal. Seven of us got on our bikes and we went to India and um, we spent time in villages, in communities, in schools and had an incredible time sharing the message of Jesus with people. We were incredibly passionate and may I say idealistic (laughs) about how we were to go and show the love of God um, to people. Towards the end of our three months trip in India and Nepal, we as a team decided we're going to spend it a month in Calcutta and to volunteer in one of Mother Teresa's homes that she has there. So as a team, we decided, you know, talked about which homes, and we ended up in Caligat. And Caligat is in Calcutta. It's a home for the destitute and the dying. And it was established in 1952 by Mother Teresa. Caligat is a place um, that Mother Teresa wanted to provide for those that were dying on the streets. I don't know if you've ever been to India or seen footages of India. It's an incredible, chaotic place. And there are lots of people just dying on the streets. And then once they're dead, they just, their bodies just get taken away. In herself, she felt like she needed to do something to give um, the final hours of these people have left to live um, in a home where it can be safe and peaceful as they die. So as volunteers in the morning... We'll go in early, and our chores were to clean Caligat, um, to cook, um, to strip soiled beds and wash them and hang them up and replace them. We did lots and lots of incredible practical things. And to be honest, I, I felt really good doing that. I felt like, yes, I'm showing the love of God in the most practical way. And there may be some of us in the room here go, yeah, that's, that's my zone. I can do the practical thing. I can bake, I can clean, I can cook for people, you know, and, and we can sit there. And I think that's really good. I'm not saying that we should stop doing that at all. I think we should continue to do that. But probably one of the most confronting things for me was the opportunities in the afternoon that we had in Caligat, where the chores are done for the day, and um, we're just invited to be back and to spend time with the patients. That was incredibly confronting. I was good at doing, being busy, doing the practical stuff, but I wasn't so great at just sitting down next to a person who doesn't speak my language and sit with them. It was confronting because, you know what, they didn't tell us why they were dying or what disease they were carrying. We just know they were dying. So in my mind, I'm being really transparent with you at the age of 22, saying, what if it's contagious? What if I haven't been vaccinated against this thing? What will happen to me? And that that was a real fear in me. I didn't speak their language, and 
I didn't know how to connect with them. I was afraid that if I touched them or did anything that I would hurt them, right? Because they're so frail, they're about to die. So I just sit there and smile. And I reckon the nuns, the sisters um, of the Missions of Charity, probably saw how awkward I was or how much I was struggling with this, that they just came over and said, look, it's just as simple as showing God's love. And I said, well, how, how do you do that? And she's just, they just said, just pick up a hand and start to massage it. You know, maybe you can read scriptures to your patients. And maybe you could sing to her, which is a really bad idea because I can't sing in tune. And um, she never, yeah, I never sang to her. I hummed a lot. Um, but I, so I said, okay. So I started to do that. I bought some oil and started to pick up a hand and started to massage them. It was really uncomfortable. It was really, really uncomfortable. But I started to do a few of these suggestions. And you know what? Um, day after day, Week upon week, we were there for four weeks, I started to feel like I was getting to know the people that were lying in those beds. And that they were getting to know me with all the barriers that were in front of us. Just a simple act of kindness and love and consistency actually um, opened my eyes into the world of God's love in a way that I've never experienced before. You know, I, I remember towards the end of the trip, I didn't want to leave. The afternoon was probably the most precious time. I still love doing the chores, but towards the, you know, in the afternoon, we got to sit with people. Yes, people died during the time that we were there, and that's probably the first time in, at the age of 22, experiencing people dying um, on a daily basis. But my friend and I, and the photo came up, like, you know, we'll bring our ukuleles in and we would sing and then the, the women would like start to making hands gestures and say, come, come and sit with us. I was experiencing what Mother Teresa said all these years ago. This is what she said. I see God in every human being. When I wash the leper's wounds, I feel I am nursing the Lord himself. Is it not a beautiful experience? Together, we want to show them, we want them to know human and divine love, that they may know that they are children of God. God's love sees everyone. God's love seeks people out. And his love is perfect. And in 1 John it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I would have to say that was probably the transformation that I felt, or the fear going into it. You know, Jesus sees the leper and he moves towards him instead of moving away. For the women with the issue of blood, he stops, he sees her, and he seeks out her name and wanting to know who she was. Mother Teresa, an Albanian nun, looked out her window one morning when she was teaching and saw the streets full of people dying, just started a home and collected a bunch of other nuns together and started to do something. You see, you just don't love once, but that the love of God gives us the capacity to love over and over and over again. You know, I have seen poverty and I have seen pain because I grew up in a refugee camp, if you know my story. So I feel like, hey, Calica, I got this under control. You know, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself, but I probably have never seen that level of pain in my life before. So then there was a teaching moment where God was showing me his love when I was there. So love from God in us is constant and it actually requires us to move constantly towards other people. 
As followers of Jesus, we are motivated by his love and followed by following his examples. You know, you don't have to go to India to do this and to have this experience. You can do it here in our streets. You can join Kelly on Thursday mornings. Once we see the people around us, do we seek them out? You know, the person that's always by themselves at lunch that we mentioned, do we now go and say hello to them? The neighbour who's just had surgery, do we go and knock on the door and say, how can I help practically to, in these next few days for you? The fellow student that you never see at hangouts, do you now go and approach them? The people that you all pass between the car park and here that you do see, but now do you stop and do you seek them out and have start a conversation with them? I know it seems like a massive step to go and start conversations with people, but to be honest with you, what I learned is that all people really want is just a warm feeling from another human being, and all of us can offer that. We can offer that by going a little bit slower in our pace as we're walking the streets, by just smiling at people as we walk past them. And sometimes maybe we are to stop and have a conversation. And sometimes it's just like this guy in video, we just sort of sit and listen to what is going on in their world. And sometimes it might require us to sit beside someone's bed and massage their hands. Thomas Merton, a treacherous monk, said this, our job is to love others without stopping, to inquire whether or not they are worthy. This is not our business, and in fact, this is nobody's business. What we are asked to do is to love, and this love itself will render both ourselves and our neighbour worthy. Jesus healed the woman and the leper of their physical condition, and that is awesome, and we, and we celebrate that. But you know what? In doing so, he did more than just that. He actually restored their standing with society, that they can be a part of a community of people for the first time in their life. He gave them dignity. But he also points them to faith. For the, for the woman with the issue of blood, he said, daughter, it is because of your faith that you are healed. He points people to faith. He says, now go in peace. I can imagine living with that condition, you wouldn't have had a peaceful life. But now Jesus is saying, go in peace. Have this peace that I'm offering you. For the leper, you know what he said to him afterwards? Don't go and announce your healing to lots of people. I want you to go to the temple. I want you to go to the temple. I want you to go and offer a sacrifice to God. And I want you to share your testimony there. The significance in that is that, remember, the leper would never have had the opportunity ever in his life to step his foot inside the temple because he was constantly unclean. This is, Jesus is pointing him to go there now that he is clean so that he can be restored to a community of people so he can actually go and worship God and offer sacrifices for the first time. That is significant for this man, for the first time that he is able to come into the presence of God like others can. Yes, he was healed physically. Yes, she was healed physically. But Jesus did more than just their physical healing. Jesus sees people, he seeks them out, and he invites them into his story. You know, the Gospels is full of that, that Jesus didn't um, just kind of have an interaction with someone, but he actually invites people into his story. And Matthew, one of his disciples, is such a person. 
know Matthew, here's some facts about Matthew. He was a tax collector. And in those days, the tax collector is like a traitor. You know, the, the Jewish people hated them and despised them. He hung out with other tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't allowed to go into the temple to, be, to worship God. He was cut off from his friends and society. He definitely was not the favorite. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But Jesus sees him and he seeks him. How He said, come and follow me. And in accepting Jesus' invitation... Matthew's life is completely transformed as we read. And he becomes one of the disciples that actually written a gospel full of stories about Jesus that we read today. He was the tax collector that Jesus saw and asked for him to come and join him in a relationship with him. So as followers of Jesus in this room this morning then, that is also the same responsibility that we have to see people and to seek them out, but also to invite them into our lives into our world, to find a place to belong, that we will invite them into the biggest love story of all that is found in Jesus, that our lives can be transformed and their lives can be transformed. But you know when you invite people into your life and they get to experience Jesus in you, your life gets transformed and they also, their lives get transformed through this friendship, this offer of friendship from us. So the person seen by themselves at lunch, yes, we see them, Yes, we went to say hello to them. The last step would be is to invite them to join you for lunch or you invite yourself to join them for lunch. What about the neighbour who's had surgery? Great that you've gone and offered, you know, practical help, but what about an offer of friendship to that person ongoingly? The fellow student that never gets to hang out or comes on the hangout, why don't you now, instead of just seeing them and say hello to them, invite them to come and hang out? Demand that the people that we walk past... Why don't we do what Kelly does and actually stop and have a conversation and maybe sit with them and have a meal with them as you offer them a meal? Dallas Willard says this, human beings are embraced by the community of God of boundless love. They are to reflect God's love in relationship with others, injecting the goodness of God in all that they do and in doing so, inviting others to enter an eternal fellowship with the creator. The book of James, incredibly practical. He depicts a picture of a practical life for Christians, a community of people that would love God and would also love other people. You know, James addresses the whole, in chapter two the whole self-interest aspect of who we are and he's reminding us as a church to move beyond favoritism by loving others and embracing them. That our treatment of people shouldn't be based on appearance, race, gender, status in society. Because love has no place at all for favoritism, but embraces all people. So as we come towards the end of this message this morning, I just want to give us room and time this morning to be in the presence of God together. And the team are going to come up and they're going to sing a song over us. I invite you to stay seated. But as the as team sings over us, I wonder whether you could be asking God some questions, questions for yourself this week. Who do you need to see? What does it look like for you this week to actually slow your pace down so you can actually see the people around you? What does it look like for you this week to seek someone out? Is there somebody in your life that you've noticed recently just looking a little bit down or not quite themselves? 
would you go and seek them out by sending them a message or giving them a call? Who are you going to invite into God's family this week? It can be just as simple as inviting them to have a meal with you, to offer a friendship with you. So as the team sings this song, for the next few minutes, I invite you to just listen to the words of the song, but I also want to invite you to to ask God these questions. And you might have pen and paper with you, or you might have your device with you, but as you seek God about this, ask Him to drop people's names or a street or a group of people into your heart. And would we as a community of people be committed to not only hear from God, but to be committed to actually do something about this this week? I actually look forward to hear stories from you as to who God has laid on your heart and the steps that you took that you would share with us. Because I think all of us can think of someone that you can see, that you can seek out, and that you can invite to be in God's family. Thanks, team. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family, and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services, because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.